The Gestalt Gardener podcast is brought to you by Varicosity Vein Center, providing health assessment screenings and compassionate care to improve your vascular functionality and quality of life. Our doctors and vein specialists offer solutions to painful varicose veins, spider veins, and other venous diseases to our patients. Now offering complimentary vein screenings in Jackson, Madison, and Ridgeland. Information and appointment scheduling at varicosityveincenter.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. morning outside. Well, I hope it is for you. It's cold and rainy where I am. This is the Gestalt Gardener. I'm horticulturist Fella Rushing and listening to the program here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting, and I am broadcasting live from Lancashire, Northern England. Just got done with the flower show. We'll talk more about that later, but meanwhile, in this second Saturday of Friday and Saturday of June program, we're going to talk about what's going on or not in your own garden. Uh, even though I'm a long ways off physically, uh, my heart, my, my mind, my dirty fingernails are still in Mississippi. So we're going to be talking about it, take a little bit of a uh, break for some news, and come back with more of the Gestalt Gardener and all about your garden live here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Again, Horticulture is still rushing. We'll be right back after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okay, dope folks, welcome back again. Horticulture's filled rushing, and it <clears throat> sounds like I'm a long ways off. I am, but I just left the other day, and I spent a lot of time getting my garden ready for the summertime. And uh, let me tell you, I know what heat and humidity is. Hopefully, we're going to have some rain this weekend and uh, that you've already got all your stuff planted. If not, get out there and plant. Maybe water everything really good because when you water stuff, it makes it rain. Uh, by the way, even though I'm overseas, we're talking live here at MPB. There's not a delay, so if you want to give me – and it is toll-free – because you just call into to our toll-free number in Jackson. So give us a call, and let's see what's going on in your garden. Uh, again, it's a live program, so here it is in June. If you got some things going on want to share with other folks, or if you've got a question about some of the advice I've given in the past or suggestions, let me know. I got a couple of those this past week, and I'll address them in just a minute. But meanwhile, there is an event coming up this next week I'd like to share with you. Kapai County Master Gardeners. Uh, which is uh, between Jackson, south of Jackson, Kapai County. Uh, they have a program every month. Uh, this month, coming up on Tuesday, June the 14th, they're having a problem uh, uh, program on container gardening called Container Gardening for Food and Fun, how to grow all different kinds of things, herbs and vegetables, as well as some flowers in different kinds of containers. It's a free program. It starts at 5.30 p.m. It's at the Kapai County Extension Service Office. Now, that's at the Kapai County Fairgrounds. If you're not familiar with that, uh, they're just west of Interstate 55 at Exit 65. They got door prizes and refreshments. It's a free program all about growing vegetables and herbs and flowers and stuff in different kinds of containers. They're real fun. Again, that's Tuesday, June the 14th at 530. Kapow County Extension Service at the Kapata County 
Copiah County Fairgrounds is just west of Interstate 55 and Exit 65. If you've got anything I can help promote here on MPB, it's garden-related. It's what makes us a nonprofit garden party. Give us an email. Shoot me an email, garden at mpbonline.org. We're going to be talking about it. Hey, Jonas, can I ask you about the weather in Jackson? You sure can. What's it? What's it? I understand it's sunny, and according to the weather, it looks like it might rain this weekend or maybe next week. What do you think? Yeah, we're getting up into the 90s for today, just like it's been all throughout this week. But it's looking and like humid. we're going to have and storms humid. and rain for like the next seven days. Yeah, well, that's of course, that's in Jackson. That's what I checked real quick. But uh, uh, if anybody else has some, if, if they know what's going on with their weather, they can give us a call, can't they? They sure can. Give them the number. All righty. It's one, eight, uh, I don't remember the number, 877-MPB-RING. Is that, <laughs> that <it>? is correct. <laughs> <laughs> One eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Yeah, eight seven seven. I can't remember numbers, but I can remember MPB ring because that's Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Give us a call. Um, by the way, um, I just got here uh, the other day, but I came just in time for the first um, Royal Horticulture Society, which I've been a member for a long time, has flower shows. Everybody's heard of the Chelsea Flower Show. A lot of people have been to the Hampton Court Flower Show. Well, they got flower shows all over the country from late winter, spring, summer, and even in the fall. And I try to get to them to see uh, some great plants, really good, interesting ideas that, that we can use uh, uh, back home. And there's some fun stuff I saw, but uh, first of all, i got to do a little bragging. Um, this is the first annual, first ever uh, flower show, Royal Horticulture Society flower show, at a place up in northern England in Yorkshire. And uh, it's, a, it's a fun little place. And uh, I went there the day before it officially opens, which, which is when people are putting the finishing touches on things. You know, they're, they're tidying the garden up. The garden workers are labeling stuff. They're getting the parking signs ready for a huge crush of people. Vendors are setting up. Uh, and I had a really, really good time with it. Matter of fact, I was the only American uh, garden communicator, the only garden writer, garden broadcaster from America uh, at the, at the uh, open house the day before. So it was a whole lot of fun. Got to wander around, talk to people, interview folks without really having to to, um, uh, to to wade through a bunch of people, if you know what I mean. They got all sorts of cool stuff. Um, uh, a lot of people know about a shrub we have called Fatsia. Fatsia is an evergreen shrub with great big leaves, and there's a similar one that's called rice paper plant that we grow. But uh, over here in the cooler climates, they have this plant called Gunnera, or Gunnera, however you want to say it. But Gunnera, it has leaves that are, well, I can stretch my arms out and barely touch the size of it. Um, huge display of our own native azaleas. I mean, they've got pink, white, yellow, orange, all of our native azaleas, oak leaf hydrangeas, things that we sort of take for granted. They're highly prized, and they're put in great big display beds on these English gardens. Uh, the emphasis at this particular flower show is on small garden sculptures. They've got garden sculptures in nearly all the vignettes, uh, all sorts of stuff from whimsical to classical to uh, kind of far out there, but artsy stuff and stuff that, get, that gives us ideas. Um, also, they have a, a lot of unique benches and seating. Because if there's one thing that, that we all need to do is have a place to sit out in our gardens uh, and also a variety of interesting bird baths. Uh, because these, they double not only as sculptures, as focal points in the garden, but also attract our feathered friends. My little bird bath is, is a constant source of activity from big birds and little birds 
honeybees, things looking for water when it gets hot and dry. Um, they also had uh, a demonstration garden with raised bed gardens, different kinds of raised beds, including, I might add, some tire planters. Uh, but they have every, uh, every imaginable type of plant stake and plant supports. From, uh, from from whimsical things to just plain old sticks to all sorts of woven things. And uh, when I get back, I'm going to uh, – actually, I'll write a column in the newspaper about that. But when I get back, I hope to give a program on some of these ideas that people can use. Um, as we're get going to these flower shows, it's real fun because you're cruising along all these real curvy rows and down small lanes. And, and uh, they've got uh, everything from the low – blueberry-covered and heather-covered hills of the Lancashire Moors to the Yorkshire Dales, a lot of wild hawthorns in full bloom and rowan trees, uh, gorse, if you remember Winnie the Pooh and the gorse bush, they're in bloom, still in bloom, uh, a few late daffodils, waist-high wild lupin, clematis, big wild hares. They, they don't just have rabbits. They got hares, which are jumping along these lovely old stacked stone walls. Um, a lot of hedgerows, pretty villages, one of the things I enjoyed about this flower show in particular, they're emphasizing uh, in some areas about children's gardening vegetables and herb plants. They've got a tea garden with different kinds of tea plants and um, all sorts of vendors. I, I, I took some pictures of new kinds of hostas, cut flowers, rock garden specimens, and even managed to talk with a fellow who sells insect-eating plants. He grows the sells stuff that grows wild along our Gulf Coast, the pitcher plants, the Saracenias. Um, he said he'd love to come see some of those in Mississippi, and I mentioned to him that, uh, first of all, they're not as preened, they're not as, as groomed, they're not as pretty. It's just big wild patches of plants doing their thing, but also there's snakes and alligators, and his eyes shot up straight up. But anyway, right now, uh, all these medieval stone churches and, and all the rhododendrons are full blown. It's a nice place to be, but, you know, they don't have crepe myrtles. They don't have a lot of magnolia trees. They don't have the ligustrum. There's so many things that we have in our, in our part of the country that the only place you'll see them in England is in fancy botanic gardens where they show them off as prized specimens, things we take for granted. we got some callers anyway. if you're ready. I, I would. I, I was just about to wrap that up and say, you know, enough of this because I, my heart's back in Mississippi talking about stuff in my own garden. Who we got, Sir Jonas? We have Chico calling from Denmark about trees. Chico, Denmark, Mississippi or Denmark, Alabama? Oh, no, Denmark, Mississippi. I, I'm here in the promised land. <laughs> Let's go. I mean, I've gotten calls from overseas before, but but Denmark. Where's Denmark, Mississippi? I, I've been to Rome. I've been to uh, to Paris. I've been to all sorts of places in Mississippi, but never Denmark. Denmark is outer Lafayette County, not too far from the Pontotoc County line, like Faxon and over in there, where Delaney Bramlett comes from. I love it. Outer Lafayette County. That's like almost on the border, right? Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. <laughs> um, well, what's going yeah, on? I have a question what's about trees. But I, I wanted to tell you, uh, last week you were asking about where Ballardsville is from. Yeah. Ballardsville is about 12 miles on the Elvis side of Tupelo, uh, right there at okay. Dorsey on the, around the Lee County, Itawamba County line. And that's okay. where Vernon and Gladys Presley, I'm not sure if it was both of them, but uh, as one of them, moved into Tupelo, and uh, eventually they gave birth to the twins, Jesse Guerin and Elvis Aaron. Okay, but so they were original from Ballardsville. 
Yeah, I, th- I think it was both of them. I know they worked on the Hussey farm yeah. there at Bogueuca, but that's where I'm from, in between Marvel okay. and Evergreen. Um, oh, great. Well, that's, that's, that, what's, up, what's up with your trees? Well, I got, um, I, I've got these, I think they're called creosote poles, the, you know, the telephone poles, the old wooden ones. Yeah. That, that's coated with some kind of chemical thing, and I've got them right. laying around my, the outer edge of my yard to keep ne'er-do-wells from driving off in my yard. And I've always yeah. noticed about things being able to grow up through them. And I've got some of yeah. them. I've got some pretty good-sized sweet gum trees growing up yeah. through these creosote poles. And I've moved some of the poles, and, you know, I felt bad about killing the young tree like I always do. But I've noticed it hadn't it it bothered that tree. Some of the poles are even off the ground now, and the trees are flourished. How is that possible? Yeah. Well, the the, the creosote stuff is per, is protect against uh, against wood decay and rot. It's not uh-huh. so much against uh, weed killers or anything like that. Matter of fact, you see moss growing on sometimes. It's it's mostly protects against decay, not as a herbicide, so to speak. So it's a, so the tree just doesn't have any problem growing through it. Not at all. Well, I, I see evidence of that every day. I want to tell you, you're in Lancashire. That's where my people came to America from, or actually to this continent from. Well, uh, we, we way got back to be related. Then. Probably got oh, to yeah. be related, man. I, I hope your, right. your folks came out on the front of the boat. Mine were down in the hold. Oh, I, I, I think mine was, too. This was way back. Uh, my people well, in listen, Westmoreland, man, I, and you're right there let, close let's, to Westmoreland and Appleby. Let, let's get together and chat sometime, but we got to get on to the garden stuff. I hear listen, you. Listen, stay, stay cool and hydrated today. Okay, then. See y'all. All right. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. By the way, I got an email from uh, from a lady who wanted to know what are those hydrangea-looking things on Interstate 55 near Vicksburg, hanging off the hillside. Those are our native oak leaf hydrangeas. They're fantastic plants if you've got good drainage and light shade. They take sun, but they grow best on like a slope or a raised bed in, in light shade. But they're incredible plants, native oak leaf hydrangeas. Who we got, Jonas? We have Wayne calling from Jackson. Good morning, Wayne. What's up? Good morning. Man? Good morning. Uh, how long can fertilizer stay on your lawn before it rains? Uh, till it rains. <laughs> I mean, I've heard it, it'll, it'll burn the lawn up if it stays on well, there too long. Well, what what happens is when a uh, you know if it, the, the chemical fertilizer they're treated to be fast re, uh, fast re- release, and if they land on a leaf and the dew and the humidity causes it to melt, it can temporarily burn a spot right there. It's not that big a deal, though, you know, because the grass, by within a week or so, has got new growth that covers up the, the damaged stuff. It, you know, if you could, could sweep it or wash it in, but it's not that big a deal. It'll make a few little brown spots on the leaves where it sticks, and that's all. It'll outgrow the damage real quick. Well, I just fear a, uh, a you know a yellow lawn, you know, just all burn up and everything. Well, if you over-fertilize, put too much out there, yeah, but if you just put – and by the way, commercial, uh, the the lawn furniture, uh, lawn furniture, the fertilizer that they sell, the stuff that that lasts a long time is good, slow release, you can actually make those bags go twice as far as they say they do. The directions on fertilizers are for the maximum they can legally get away with recommending. Grass doesn't need nearly that much. But anyway, I wouldn't worry about it. Okay, so you can put it out about 24 hours before it rains, and that'll be fine? You can put it out whenever you get around to it. It's just going to lay there until it gets washed in. Most it can do is, again, the individual little bits make burn some tiny little holes in the individual leaf blades. But, you know, like I say, the grass is constantly putting on new growth. It'll cover that up, so it's not that big a deal. 
Okay. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it. Jonas, we need to take a break or you know, keep going with the phone calls. We're going to take a quick break, and then we have two more phone calls from Eva and Peggy right after the break. Okay. All right. Appreciate it. Uh, we're going into a little bit of a break, but let me throw this out. I also got a, an email from a fellow wanting to know if did you hear me say I really shouldn't prune roses in the summertime? And I never say something like that. I might have answered a specific question. Roses need to be pruned every three or four years. You can prune them every year. You can even prune the new growth in the summertime if you want to. But they only need it every two or three or four years for size control and keep new growth coming out. Got some other emails. Shoot me an email anytime. Garden at mpbonline.org. I'm Horticulture's fellow rushing. This is the Gestalt Gardener here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We'll be right back. Support for the Gestalt Gardener comes from Old House Depot. Antique windows, doors, shutters, flooring, and exposed beams. Architectural salvage, custom carpentry, you name it. Open 9 to 5 Monday through Saturday, 639 Monroe Street in Jackson. OldHouseDepot.com This is MBB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. Your print impaired. MPB's radio reading service is here for you. Our dedicated team of volunteers bring the world of news and entertainment to you. For information and to see if you qualify, call us at 601-432-6301. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back again. Horticulture's still rushing. And before we go to those calls, let me ask you something, Jonas. Uh, you know how you feel after you go to the dentist, have your teeth cleaned really, really good? Yep. You know, it just makes you feel like smiling at everybody and, and you know, just want to show teeth and stuff like that. That's how I feel about my garden because uh, I had a confluence of things uh, this past week that caused me to get out in the heat and humidity, and it ain't even summer yet. I had to clean up my front yard, front to back, side to side, uh, partly because I had an insurance house inspection and a visit from a horticulturist and, and uh, getting ready to, to go overseas. And so I got out and I cleaned stuff up, I piled stuff, I weeded, I hauled stuff to the to the roll-off dumpster day. Uh, I mean, I weed ate, I mulched, I did all sorts of stuff. And when I got done, I felt just like my teeth had been cleaned really, really good. It's a good feeling. Were your teeth actually clean, though? Well, yeah, I actually went to the no. I, you know, after using a weed eater, I had uh, chlorophyll splattered all over. Exactly, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was getting but, to. Uh, anyway, it's a it's a good feeling when you get out there and do stuff. But let me tell you, folks, uh, even if it's not that hot, the humidity will wipe you out. So be careful. Take it easy. Garden in the morning. Garden in the evening. Stay hydrated. And just don't do stuff. And no matter how old you are, young or whatever. It ain't no sense in being stupid in this kind of heat and humidity. Let's go back to the phone calls, Jonas. Who we got, man? Up next is Eva calling from DeSoto County. Hey, Eva, good morning. Good morning. How can uh, I help you? 
My question is about two shrubs that I know. Well, it's one shrub. I got two of them, and they're uh-huh. called Cryptomerian. And right. I have an urge by my exterior door on the front. The front of my house is facing right. the south. Right. And they get all the evening sun or wet sun, whatever, and I don't know how to take care of them. I think they're real beautiful. I don't know anything about the native where they came from or anything, and I don't know if I overwatered them or underwater them. I'm having a problem. They're turning brown. Yes, sir. Here, here's the deal. Cryptomeria, they're, they're good plants, and the folks who aren't, aren't familiar with them, they're sort of like a cedar. You know, they are, are a juniper-type thing. They're conifers, and they actually do better the further north you go. They'll grow in Canada better than they grow in DeSoto County, Mississippi. And here's the problem. They don't like hot, hot, humid, wet weather, and we have a lot of that. So what happens when you put them out, uh, Eva, when you, when you put them up against the house, that's a lot of radiated heat, more than they're used to. And uh, then if the rain comes off your port, uh, off your roof and keeps them wet, they don't like wet feet. So they don't like heat. They don't like humidity. They don't like to stay wet. So if you want to save them, you probably ought to move them further out from the house, raise them up a little bit so they're not, you know, just sunk in the ground, and try not to water them too much. And well, about all you can do right now, just, Oh, they're in the urn. Yes, okay. right, front, right the front door, exterior door. Oh, I got you. They're, they're, they're in the urn. They're uh, I replaced uh, arborvitaes with them. Okay. Well, you know, and arborvitaes, you know, they're sort of related. Arborvitaes are a lot tougher. The problem with cryptomeria is if you don't water them a lot, you know, they don't like the heat and humidity, and so they need water. But if you water them too much in the pot, keep them wet, either too wet or drying out too much causes the roots to burn, and that causes the leaves to turn brown. Uh-huh. So there's not much you can do except just watch your watering and cut off any brown uh, uh, tips as they, as they show up. Because other than, In other words, it's a watering issue. Too wet or too dry causes them to have brown leaf tips. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Appreciate it, Eva. Stay, stay cool, okay? Our next caller is Peggy from Pascagoula. Hey, Peggy, it's great going from the top to the bottom. Well, I should right. say top good to bottom. Good morning, Felder. Good morning. What's, what's going Hope on? having a good time over there in the British Isle. It's chilly and rainy. <laughs> oh, well, But, but it was anyhow. a beautiful flower show. It just what, makes flowers grow. Okay, I love your photography. And, you know, remember that wonderful book you did about um, uh, Halloween uh decoration the, the, the scarecrow yeah. right oh yeah yeah something like that are you going to do any more books or some fun photography or some serious photography well, you know i got 18 of them out there yeah okay <laughs> look, okay. look for one listen go to amazon.com you can get them for like two dollars used books i look for yeah. my model tree book and look for my garden heart book what, lots one, of honey? garden hearts garden all hearts. sorts okay. of books Okay. Right. And I tell you um, what, go, go to my, go to my web page. I've got, I've got information on both of those on my website. You can't buy them there. You can get them at Amazon.com cheaper than I can sell them. And, and one more question. When is it you can get cuttings from the rose, roses in the um, old cemetery in Jackson? Well, you can root roses just about any time, but they root best when you take the cuttings after a frost in the fall, late in November, fall. December, okay. January. Don't they have a day there. that you can go in there and... and 
get coatings, or how does that work? It, it's, it's, it's open uh, from dawn to dusk every day of the week, you can just all help year long. They don't mind. They is me, <laughs> and I'm saying go go for it. Okay, don't move the right. plants up. Just get a just get a few cuttings. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> okay, thanks a, thanks a lot. You bet. Appreciate Bye-bye. your call. I do a lot of photography, folks. As a matter of fact, that's what I was doing at this flower sale. The weather was perfect. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. It wasn't too sunny for bad shadows. It wasn't too overcast. It was just perfect for garden photography. Where other people take pictures of flowers, I'm taking pictures of different ways to stake plants, different type of raised beds, you know, little things like that, different kind of mulches and, and patterns of uh, footpaths. And one of the things that I really got the most out of on this trip uh, is they have beautiful meadow lawns. I've been working with a fellow uh, up up in North Mississippi, up near near Oxford, uh, who's who's uh, doing a lot of fun stuff. But a meadow lawn is simply where you got too much area to mow. Instead of trying to mow it all all the time, you just mow paths in it. Mow something out near the street so the neighbors know what you're doing. Mow a couple of wide paths out to a bench or a log or a tree. Mow a circle around the tree. Put in some birdhouses. But basically, just mow part of it and let part of it grow up is natural wildflowers. You have bees and butterflies and all sorts of songbirds and stuff. It's real easy to do, but the trick is put something out there that people can see and then mow a path to it so they know you're, you're doing it on purpose. A meadow lawn is real attractive. There's all over Europe, uh, and they're very practical. So uh, anyway, if you want some information about it, I'll be writing about it in the newspaper pretty soon. Jonas, we got anybody on the line? Yes, we do. We have Riley calling from Olive Branch about roses and containers. Great. Thank you. Hey, Riley. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. What's up? So our we used to have these beautiful big bushes of roses, but they got in the soil some kind of fungus. And I can't remember the name of it, but um, I really missed having those big, beautiful roses. So uh-huh. I was wondering if I could start growing them in containers and big pots, and if you had well, any ab- tips for doing that. Oh, yeah, a- absolutely. First of all, a bigger pot is better than a smaller pot because the roses don't have to be watered as much. Uh, it, it, they dry out too fast, you have to water them a lot, and that can actually cause root problems. So grow them okay. in bigger pots. If you if you could put your arms around it, it ain't quite big enough. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing is really important to have a potting soil that's got good drainage, so roots grow down deep instead of staying just shallow. And you can either mix up bark. Uh, you go to a garden center and get this stuff that's it's, it's called grit, but it's like expanded. It, it's sort of like kitty litter. You know, it's expanded clay bits. That, and, and I mix it with all my potting soil because I grow a lot of stuff, including roses in big pots. You want to mm-hmm. add something so that water goes down deep. Uh, and then um, when you put the roses in it, loosen up the roots, put them in there, and try not to go with the great big giant rose bushes. Look for roses that are more compact, even if they have big flowers. Knockout's mm-hmm. a good one. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of really good roses that grow in raised beds and containers. And if you want a uh, list of some that are not going to need a bunch of sprays, uh, I can send it to you, but what I would suggest is don't expect a rose in a container to live more than a year or two or three. Treat them like annuals, and just when they start looking bad, pull them out, stick another one in there like you would a tomato or a pepper. You can get two or three years out of a rose. In, in other words, don't don't try to have an, ant, an ancient rose for years and years in, in a pot. Huh. So would a smaller rose, like a more wild uh, variety, work better in a container? Sure. 
No, no, it doesn't have to be wild, any kind of rose, but there's some that are called ramblers or great, they're just great big roses, you know, mm-hmm. big, big bushes. You don't want to plant the big ones, but most of the hybrid teas, the floribundas, the polyanthus, they do great in containers. Another thing to keep in mind is mixed up in with it, put your clump of monkey grass, have something that cascades over the side, make sort of like an arrangement with the rose being the centerpiece. Hmm, that sounds good. It's easy to do. I mean, a lot of people have been growing roses in containers for a long, long time. The main thing is when they start looking bad, don't treat it like an old cat. Just pull it up, put something else in the hole. Cool. I'll try that. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it. And email me if you you need more information about that. Uh, and, And by the way, folks, I do answer my emails. It takes me a few days sometimes, but shoot me an email about your garden or questions or concerns. Garden at mpbonline.org. How are we doing, Sir Jonas? We'll take one more call before the break, and it's Allison from Ocean Springs. All righty. Hey, Allison, I was just out in Ocean Springs a couple of weeks ago. Lovely town, just to walk around in the evening. It is wonderful. What can I help you with? Well, we bought our house about three years ago, and my husband and I are just really perplexed because we have about 10 oak trees. So our yard mm-hmm. is super shady, and the bare yeah. spots in the lawn are all moss, and the planter beds are full of moss. And we're just looking, yeah. are we ever going to be able to grow grass if it's that mossy, or what no. kind of shrubs can no. we put in the planter beds? Okay, okay. first of all, uh, spend some time going around the older part of Ocean Springs mm-hmm. and, uh, and, 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 and look at the one, you know, concentrate on the percentage of grass. Not the overall mm-hmm. landscape, but what's the actual percentage of grass? You'll find the older shady homes, a lot of them don't have a lot of grass because uh, grass needs energy from the sun to reproduce itself. And, and after a while, the grass gets shaded out. It, you can put solid sod, but it just doesn't get enough energy to get started again. Where it's still alive, though, raise your mower to the high setting and throw the wrench away. The higher okay. you mow it, the better it's going to tolerate the shade. Now, as far as the moss, moss tells me you've got three things, shade, compacted, acidic soil. And uh, there's nothing wrong with moss. As a matter of fact, there are some nice moss gardens in Ocean Springs. And you can mm-hmm. put a big rock or clump of monkey grass by a big rock and make it look like you're doing it on purpose. And it actually, it actually kind of Southern Living-esque, if you know what I mean. But right. right around, and, and notice that... Uh, that a lot of the older gardens, they've got uh, ground covers, they've got mondo grass, which is a little monkey grass, they've got aspidistra, uh, Asiatic jasmine. There's some wonderful, you can actually grow some of the ground cover uh, gingers uh, there on the uh, the peacock gingers on the Gulf Coast that we can't grow further north. So uh, oh, yeah. get an inspiration from, from the older mature landscape that really doesn't have much grass. Right. That's what I was kind of thinking, and that's what we were trying to decide. We have almost no beds, and I was thinking that we should just try to landscape in some of those spots instead of trying to grow lawn in them. Well, absolutely. Uh, Again, you know, when I was studying turf management at Mississippi State, and we're talking about over 30 years ago, I was taught that if you've got more than 50% shade and the grass is gone, it's gone for good. Anybody tells you different simply doesn't know what they're talking about or they're trying to sell you something. And in my 30-plus years of looking at lawns in the shade, I have yet to see a success story of people getting started again, no matter how good it was or how well your neighbors look. So uh, right. if you shoot me an email, I can send you a couple of uh, a couple of more ideas but mostly get some ideas of what's going on in the older neighborhood uh, where they've already dealt with this way a long time ago. 
Okay, that sounds great. Thank you so much. Oh, all righty. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good day. All righty, folks. Thank you. Appreciate that. We're about to take a quick break, folks, a little cheesy music. And uh, I chose this. It's not garden-related, but it's in honor of the fact that this week is the official National Surfer Music Week. <laughs> I have no idea how you find these things out, Felder. <laughs> I'm not making them up, Jonas. I mean, there are websites out there, but National Surfer Music Week. We're going to celebrate that with a little little pipeline. I'm horticulturist Felder Rushing. This is the Gestalt Gardener. It's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. And even though my body is a long ways away, my mind and my spirit are right there in the deep south in the heat and humidity, wishing that I'd watered things one more time. We'll be right back after this. Think DIY is just fix it 101? Well, think again. It's brightening your home with the Gestalt Gardener or finding that perfect recipe with Deep South Dining and figuring out what that little icon on your phone means with Everyday Tech. MPB Think Radio, helping you be you. I'm Jeremy Hobson. California's beaches are being washed away by erosion made worse by climate change and El Nino. 
The problem is in California, we've developed right up to our beaches. And so we sort of don't have a natural buffer anymore that would protect us from sources like sea level rise. And going forward, we need to start planning and taking that into account. That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MVB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okie dokie, welcome back, folks. Again, horticulture is still rushing, and I'm broadcasting live from Lancashire up in northern England. I was in Yorkshire uh, yesterday for this new flower show, brand new uh, uh, Royal Horticulture Society flower show. A lot of people think of the Chelsea show and sometimes the Hampton Court show, and they're fun. I go to them all the time. Uh, a lot of good ideas, but I like going to the smaller shows scattered around in the rural areas of England because they have real people doing real things to give each other ideas on how to make their garden uh, better looking, lower maintenance, uh, you know, just just w- whatever. A lot of little fun ideas that people actually take home. Anyway, if you want to give me a call, it's toll-free, 1-877-MPB-RING. And um, uh, Jonas, we got any phone calls yet? Yes, we do. We have Mike from Macomb calling about a peach tree. All righty. Hey, Mike, I don't know if you know, but my folks are from outside of Macomb, a place called Felder's Campground. Oh, not far from where I live. This is nice country. <laughs> it is, it is. What can I help you with? Yeah, thanks for taking my call. I have a peach tree and... Um, it has uh, a lot of fruit, and the fruit is juicy and sweet. Uh, but the problem I'm having is uh, a little infestation with bugs, and I was—I know you have to treat it, uh, and I was wondering when would be the uh, absolute best time to treat the uh, tree uh, for the infestation. Yeah. yeah, it's a good question. I've all, it, it, as I was raised in a, in a fruit orchard, all different kinds of fruit, including mayhaws and pawpaws and jujubes and everything, Indian clean peach. Um, and over the, the decades, since studying fruit management and working with fruit growers, I really don't think you can grow peaches and plums without sprays. I, I wish I could say otherwise, but it's the reason we don't have any commercial peach production in the state anymore because the sprays got too expensive. So anyway, you can get this stuff called home orchard spray or home fruit tree spray. They're sort of generic mixtures, but they cover insects and diseases on peaches and plums. And uh, if you want to spray them, you need to do it after the flowers fall off the trees because, you know, if you don't need to spray the flowers because that'll kill bees. But when the little fruits are starting to form, the little peaches, you want to spray them to keep them from getting diseased or getting infested. Once they get it, ain't nothing to do about it. So we're looking at sometime, um, oh, in March or so, and then April and May, you need to spray every couple of weeks or every couple of rains, whichever come first, because the stuff doesn't last long and more than a couple of weeks, and it washes off after a couple of rains. It's a real pain, but that's what it takes. Yeah, well, I mean, these pieces will be worth it. They are really good. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, as a matter of fact, you know, a, a, a little bottle of spray costs a lot less than a handful of peaches. But, the, again, you, because the sprays don't last long, and you're spraying the fruit. You're not spraying the trees. You're spraying the fruit, but that means you got to spray the whole tree. Again, it only lasts for a couple of weeks or a couple of rains, so you're looking at spraying four or five times or so over the springtime, maybe six. 
Okay. Uh, one other quick question, if I can. Uh, sure. I, I, as I mentioned, it bears a lot of fruit to the point where it weighs the limbs down, actually. And uh, yeah. should I prune that tree uh, periodically, or yeah, I'll uh, it if, if if you've ever been to a, if you've ever seen a peach orchard or plum orchard, uh, you'd be surprised. They look like you know they got a. a it, it looks like you can you can hold a ruler uh, a yardstick up over your head and it's taller than anything out there because they prune them. Every year, every winter, they thin out all the clutter so that you only have a few limbs, and those limbs only have a few branches, and so that the trees are stronger. It limits the amount of fruit, but the fruit that's on it is better. Uh, it's, it's better quality, and, and you know, it gets all the energy to what you would cut off. But the most important thing they do, and this is tough, it's hard for even me to do, commercial grow- growers, when the peaches and plums get about the size of a marble or so, not quite the size of a marble, they go out and they pop them off, except just leaving one or two or three in each cluster. So the ones that are smaller are left will get bigger and juicier, less likely to break the trees. Oh, that's it's called fruit. It's, it's called fruit training, uh, fruit thinning. And uh, uh, commercial growers say if you don't feel like crying, you haven't thinned them enough. And that's their secret to great, big, juicy peaches is each cluster just limit them to two or three peaches per cluster. Wow, that's interesting. Thanks a lot for that tip. <laughs> okay, appreciate it, man. Stay cool, okay? Have a great day. Thank you. Before we go to the next email, let me mention I got a, an email from uh, the next phone call uh, from Tasha uh, Teshin. She wanted to know if it's too late to prune her privet hedge back. It's got a real leg in. You can see through it. And uh, the answer is no. You can prune evergreen shrubs and deciduous shrubs, not conifers like junipers and cedars and stuff. You can prune uh, uh, hollies and azaleas and all those things back to just two or three feet tall if you get right on it. Because the new growth's got to have time to come out and sort of toughen up before winter. And as long as you get it done by the middle of August, you can still prune pretty hard. So what about phone calls, Sir Jonas? Um, The lines are completely clear right now. Ooh, well, we've got to do something about that, folks. It's toll-free. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter where I am. It's still toll-free. one mpb ring Got the lines wide open if you want to give us a call. And uh, by the way, I got an email, uh, a good uh, a good thoughtful question the other day, uh, because a fellow tuned in, and he said he just could not believe that I recommended something that just sounds like it's wrong. And he got, I'm thinking, maybe I was wrong. I, anyway, I went back and checked my notes and, and I did a little more research, and turns out it's okay. The question was about putting eggshells around plants for the calcium and to make the soil more alkaline, because they got a lot of calcium in it. And uh, it's a good idea. I've been recommending it for years. But uh, I found out a couple of years ago that that simply doesn't work. They've done research on the eggshells take forever to break down. I mean, sometimes years, even if you grind it up real fine. Uh, so what they found out, if you'll soak the eggshell, grind them up, chop them up really good, and soak them in some vinegar, which is acetic acid. The vinegar, it makes them fizz like crazy. I mean, it just fizz, 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 fizz. Boy, the fizz settles down. And if you let it, you know, just sort of settle for a day or two before you use it, the vinegar, the acetic acid, which is used as a weed killer in some places, it doesn't affect the soil or things like that. But the vinegar, the acetic acid in the vinegar changes the calcium I forget calcium something into calcium something else. It's a chemical reaction that turns eggshell calcium into plant fertilizer calcium. So it is a good recommendation, but he's right. 
you can spray vinegar on weeds and it'll burn them back a good bit. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about soaking crushed up eggshells and a little vinegar till it stops fizzing. Let it settle down a little bit overnight. Put it around your plants and you've got a real good source of calcium uh, and something that'll help uh, uh, reduce some of the acidity in soil. This is really good about tomatoes and peppers and things that like that little extra calcium. Anyway, good question. I appreciate it. And I also appreciate the opportunity to go back and, and study and make sure that I was right on track on that. We have what Jim calling call? from Memphis. Hooray, Jim. A phone call came pouring in. What's up, man? Yes, sir. I have a, about a 20- or 25-year-old oak tree. It's got smooth-edged leaves, um, so it's either a shingle oak, a willow oak, a laurel oak, one of those kinds. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and about 10 or 15% of the branches have got a, a, um, a problem with leaf curl. I can't find any insects. The leaves are still green. They're dark, and they're curled un- under. And I don't know if this is uh, from a late frost or uh, represents some sort of fungus. Can you help me? Uh, I, uh, well, yes and no. I'm real familiar with oak tree diseases, sort of something I specialized in a long time ago. And uh, I'm not aware of any diseases that cause oak leaf curl. Uh, it's possible you might have had an earlier infestation of some spider mites or something that are sucking sap out of the bottom. They'd be really, really small almost like dust, that could be causing them to curl because they're sucking sap out of the veins and the leaves. It could also be that you or your neighbors put some weed killer out on a warm day and it might have drifted onto them. You know, some weed killers, particularly those used on broadleaf weeds, can volatilize and float up. And uh, that could cause a problem that usually the plants grow out of it. So you know, I'm we little, have some I'm, problems I'm, with, uh, with uh, the same, a similar thing on our knockout roses. The leaves started becoming malformed. I'll bet you that's what the problem was. It could could be. Uh, a lot of these plants, like I say, the lawn weed killers, they say don't use near trees or shrubs, but how can you get away from that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, it, right. that's, it, that's, it, that's entirely possible. That's a, a real likelihood, and it happens a lot. But, again, uh, oaks and, and roses don't share the same diseases. So if they're both doing that, it's either two similar problems or else uh, – uh, either they have the common problem like weed killer drift or they have two separate problems that have similar symptoms. Knockouts are real susceptible to a disease called a rosette that causes the new growth to be just really tight and deformed. That's a real common yeah. disease that's showing up. Uh, I don't know if that's it, but, I mean, it looks really bizarre. Okay. Well, is there something to be done about that? I hate to change the subject. No, well, if uh, I tell you, what, if if you if you can shoot me an email that's got a close-up picture of it, I can spot rosette, or you can go online and you know and, and see it's it's real classic. But there's not any treatment for it; it's a virus, and uh, the only right. recommendation is to pull the plants up. I hate to say that, but you know that's that's the, the nature of you know when we get a plant that's really really popular and people plant a lot of it, the problems yeah. tend to multiply too. Okay, well I'll look it up. If it looks that way, my wife is going to be really unhappy with me. Well, you know, are these in pots or in uh, or in the soil? Uh, they're in the ground. Yeah, uh, the the disease is spread by tiny little thrips, little bitty insects. And I, I don't know if you've ever seen a thrip, but you can take a a white piece of paper and hold it under a rose and thump it real hard and look for tiny little cigar shaped things. They're smaller than a typewritten letter I, and uh, those are called thrips, and they they spread the disease from plant to plant. 
So if you wanted to try some new roses, mix them in with some other shrubs instead of a lot of roses all together. So that way the insects don't go as easily from plant to plant. All right. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm just making an educated guess on the oaks. If you want to see me a, a really good, clear close-up of those leaves, you know, I can do some some real quick head scratches. I got some some really weird websites that have details like that. Our next caller is Trevor from Itabina. Hey, Trevor. How are you surviving in the Delta in this kind of heat and humidity? It's uh, it's warm on the catfish farm. Yeah, and he, you know, I was down at the coast a few weeks ago, and I forgot about water reflecting uh, radiation from the sun upwards, and I sunburned the bottom of my chin and my nostrils and my earlobes. They must be tough being around water all day in the Delta too. Yeah, but we're having we're having fun growing some fish. But I've got a question about some raised bed garden. Um, okay. I'm my wife would like some raised bed gardens, so I'm in the process of making some that are eight foot long, four foot wide, and two foot tall. And my question yeah. is about what what should I fill them with? That's a lot of soil. Um, does it all yeah. does it all need to be quality soil? Can there be some filler in the bottom? Can you just talk a little bit about um, of what what a person does with something like that when there's such a large volume of it? Yeah, well, keep in mind that I've been a raised bed gardener for a long time, and everywhere I go, all these community gardens all over the country, all over the world, from Japan to England, everywhere I go, raised beds are, are really the way to go. But uh, it, it, you know, have you already built these boxes? We have. We're in the process of, of making them now. Okay, the reason I'm saying two feet tall is pretty tall for the delta. If you make it really high, you got to water a lot. Uh, okay. What I would do, what I would do is I would put the beds out there and either use Roundup or something like that to kill the weeds, but dig down a shovel's depth, then add stuff to that dirt so it's partly sunk and partly raised. That way, it's raised up during uh, uh, wet spells, but it's got it's not so high in the hot summer. You got to water a lot. If you want to make them two feet high, that's fine. But I would definitely have them go down at least a shovel's depth beneath into the, your own dirt and mix stuff with that. Uh, and what you can do is you can use some old gin moats. I'm sure there's some around there. Uh, you can mix in some bark, uh, but also see if you can find some real topsoil to mix in with it because, you know, pure dirt is what cotton grows in. But uh, if you'll mix the, some real dirt, your dirt, some other dirt, and some organic matter, so that way it, it, it has good drainage but doesn't dry out so fast, you know, uh, somewhere between dirt and potting soil. A combination of two is it's like crackers in a bowl of chili. That's what we're shooting for. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. That's the start, Trevor. There's a couple of other little tricks and nuances. Shoot me an email and, and uh, because I really get into raised bed gardens without a whole bunch of rules and stuff. There's a couple of real simple tricks. Be glad to help you with it. We have two callers that we're going to try to get to before the end of the hour. The first is Willie oh. from Long Beach. Hey, Willie. What's up on the coast? Hey, uh, I got squash, squash problems. Yeah, yeah. They are making beautiful plants, uh, beautiful blooms, but no fruit. The, the okay, uh, blooms are dropping off. Yeah, there's two kinds of blooms on a squash: the male and the female. Males are on just a stem. Females are on the end of what look like a little squash. And if you okay. have all males, it'll that should settle out. Sometimes they make all males for some time, but if you don't have both. Simple stem and what look like little squash with a flower on it, it ain't going to happen. And then you got to get pollen from the male flower to the female flower. And if you don't have bees, you can break a male flower off, 
skim and all, peel the yellow petals off, and use it like a little paintbrush and dab pollen in an open female flower. Again, that's the one that looks like the end of a squash. But if you got all male right now, it'll probably settle down when the weather changes a little. Okay. Good enough. It, I, I it, got, it sounds I got them in, in pots. Okay. Well, the main thing is check for male and female flowers. Make sure they're getting pollinated, even if you have to break some males off and use them like a paintbrush. And our final caller right. is Kathy from Winona. Hey, Kathy. Good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. You mentioned earlier about the yellow and um, orange azaleas that you're seeing, uh-huh. and I don't see very many of those in Mississippi. see them a lot in North Carolina and in Arkansas. Do they do okay in Mississippi? And I'll hang up they and let you answer. Okay, that, that's great. Uh, they do fine. The reason you don't see them, because if you could see them, Aunt Mamie could see them, and if she saw it, she dug it up. But they're all out in the woods, particularly in, uh, along creeks and, and wet areas. Uh, agriculture's gotten rid of a lot of native plants, but uh, they do perfectly fine, especially in the hills around uh, Montgomery County. They do great. Um, they need slope. They need a little bit of shade, although they take full sun. But anyway, they do great. Uh, you can get them commercially, uh, but get small ones and let them get established rather than buy big ones that struggle to, to get established. Hope that helps a little bit. And, folks, if y'all have emails about anything, give me a call. Shoot me an email, garden at mpbonline.org. Be real glad to help you. This is the, uh, the, the Salt Gardener production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Check out the container gardening uh, pr- presentation uh, this coming Tuesday at 530 at the Copan County Extension Service. It's free. Tell them I said hey. And uh, I'm going to go back out if I can learn a little bit about gardening. I'm, meanwhile, I'm going to find good ways to get dirty, even in England. See you all next week. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.